Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, late, and I apologize for that. Bit. And he wasn't even driving. No. <laughs> <laughs> My fault. Lost. Obviously, a large audience here, so first survey. Does anyone listen to the podcast? We're in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to expect then. This is the kind of level of technical expertise. I'm trying to disappear off camera because we've got four people. Well, Phil's from the magazine. He's on the podcast all the time, aren't you, Phil? Can't get rid of me. You had to run it last week in Doncaster. I did. Did a, a superb job there. <laughs> um, but joining us today, he joined us for the first one of these shows in Leeds. He was in York a few weeks ago as well. Peter Smith of the Yorkshire Evening Post. And then two men who have crossed the divide in Hull with, with, with varying levels of controversy. Obviously, when, when Craig Murdoch made the move, it was all over the front page of the Hull Daily Mail, back page everywhere. That was just the whole fan celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scorer of Rugby Union's greatest ever trial, we say. You must get sick of being asked about that. It's like Paul Anderson being asked about that goal kick. It's quite bizarre, I think I'm the only rugby league player in history that's greatest moments playing rugby union, so yeah, but I can, uh, it's better to be famous for something, I, I, I suppose, Rich, than, than nothing at all, so yeah, we'll go with that. And, and Paul Cook, of course, famously. How are you, Paul? Yeah, really well. Um, I think very much the same as Phil, just chatting then, very much having withdrawal symptoms from what was a wonderful World Cup, rugby league World Cup, um, in all formats, in all formats, and... Yeah, looking forward to uh, the start of the new Super League season and, and maybe continuing to grow the international game at the same time. As, as a broadcasting geek, I was very happy to see people whose names I knew on the end of the, the big long list of credits at the end of the World Cup. Mm. And yet you both were on there. I mean, what, what experience was that like working behind the, uh, behind the microphone at the World Cup? Yeah, wonderful. Um, you know, I, ma- I managed to see um, Lebanon against Ireland in Lee and then the Irish face New Zealand at Headingley so um, but n- not not just that on top of that to, to be a small part of it um, along with Craig and, and everybody else that worked so hard to, to promote the game uh, on varying different levels of 
media outlets, whether that was the TV or whether it was the radio, I found, I just thought, I was just privileged to be a part of and play, play a small part of. Craig, your World Cup, how would you, how would you have summed it up, your, your own personal thoughts? Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, really, really pleased to be invited to do a game on TV and, at short notice and then the reality of realising it was Fiji v Italy, which was uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a worry and a bit of a um, a bit of a shock to the system. Did you get but phonetic name from <laughs> you know credit to our friend Matt Wilson, who, who absolutely you know the best in the business, absolutely helped me out with, with, with some of the pronunciations. But as as you would, this this is a story, and this can only happen in rugby league. Uh, so again, I probably say it many times. I think we're we're amazingly self-critical of our sport in rugby league and what we don't do is we don't pat ourselves on the back enough for when we do things right and I think we did this rugby league you know again how innovative we are as sport you know we were the first with the video ref you know I'm sure that this now will become the norm that all these tournaments happen all at the same time you know but, but going back to, to, to my World Cup experience I think what I'll take back for, away with me was I did um, Italy as, and Fiji as I said for the TV and the one criticism I got was um, through Kyla Moore's Twitter. Somebody had said, really good, but you, you did ever so well because your co-commentator kept calling you Kyle all game. So the only name I got wrong was Kyla Moore. So there we go. Surely that's the <laughs> And I blend the accent. So I, I'm sure I said Kyle. I'm sure I said Kyle. But yeah, if, if that was the, the, the worst thing that went wrong in that game, I could live with that. The first thing I said to Mark when I saw him at the uh, St. James's Park in the press room before the England-Samoa opener was... I looked at the fixtures, Mark, and I saw Monday night in Doncaster, Greece versus France. That's nailed on for you doing that one. Yeah. yeah. And what a wonderful moment, uh, you know, the, 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 the Greece try, the first mm. one in the World Cup. And the backstory of Greece That's is obviously it. a phenomenal story, isn't it, where it was illegal to play. And, and I think there was a story where they told the police there was a play in a game and, and advertised that they was going to play a game in one city. Yeah. And they duped the police because they went to shut it down and there was this completely different city that they was playing, playing in. Playing games at midnight. At midnight, yeah. And it's a fantastic story. And the, now, the this weekend, the is the second weekend of the Greek domestic season, yeah. both men and women. Um, yeah. And that's built on the back of, now it's an acknowledged sport, yeah. the women have played in the, the Euro B there on the road to qualifying for the 2025 World Cup. <laughs> The men have got a great story, haven't yeah. they? And they, they were the team that bought eight uh, domestic players, played them all throughout yeah. the World Cup, four of them on the pitch at one time against England. And those guys have gone back not just to be players, but player coaches, mm. take the, the knowledge that they've learned. So, yeah, I, I think you, you're right. We've said it before, this is sort of our uh, wind-up of the, the, the World Cup. But the first half of the men's tournament was purely storytelling. Mm. And, and a bit like the Football World Cup at the moment, there's a lot of that going on as well, and we shouldn't be too self-critical of that. We should just enjoy telling the story. I'm just hoping no-one wants any books about the Second World War World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> there's, not much, there's not much room behind us, but just in case. Um, now, Peter, you've been with us twice, in Leeds before the tournament started, in York midway through. Fair to Phil, he's relentlessly positive. You're more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Sum up the World Because in York, you, you weren't... Buying into this whole, it's the best thing that's ever been. But where are you now on World Cup 2021? I, I think, I think as a whole, the tournament was a success, but I think it could have been better. Um, as, a, as I said in in York, I think some of the venues weren't right; they were too big. Um, the crowds' problem wasn't the crowds; it was the the number of empty seats in venues. Um, 
thought, I think I probably mentioned York, Tonga versus Cook Islands. I went to 8,000 there, which is, I think it's a good attendance for Tonga against Cook Islands. In a place like Middlesbrough, which is, has no rugby league tradition, I think it was the first rugby league I played in Middlesbrough. You play that in a, a, a venue the size of, say, Craven Park or Halifax or somewhere like that, it'd be great. But in a 33,000 capacity venue, too many empty seats. There's no, it didn't really create an atmosphere. I think there was a little bit too much of that in the opening um, stages of the tournament. Uh, I'm not too concerned about the one-sided scorelines. I think you get those. Um, the compensation was seeing the likes of Jamaica and Greece um, playing in the tournament. Um, I thought it, it really picked up from probably the quarterfinals onwards. We had two fantastic semi-finals in the men's tournament. I thought the final was a decent final without obviously it was never really there wasn't going to be a shot was there but but Samoa were relatively competitive and it was it was a good attendance um, a good good occasion I thought the women's tournament was terrific um, again um, some cracking games in, in that I think my favourite game from the tournament was Australia women against New Zealand women I thought that was just a superb game um, the wheelchair tournament was fantastic from start to finish I was lucky enough to be at the final and uh, that's something I'll remember for a very very long time for a number of reasons um, so overall yeah I think it was I think it was, it was a good tournament I thought 2017 tournament uh, sorry 2013 tournament in this country was better but um, I think overall you certainly class it as a success so I think the important thing is what we do now, make sure we build on it. Um, from the things that really worked, like the women's game and the wheelchair, and make sure that um, we build on the success of the last few weeks. Um, you know, every game was televised. For a rugby league fan, it was just six weeks of, of wall to wall rugby. It couldn't be any better. But well, Phil can't wait for boxing then, can you? Can't wait to see Leeds reserves versus Wakefield reserves. I mean, I, no, I can't wait. I should have introduced. Come up with these introductions before we come in. And I Paul Cook, of course, former Wakefield star. Yeah. I think. I think the thing about what happens now is there's very much a possibility it could be after the Lord Mayor's show, and that's what we've got to guard against, particularly in the domestic game. We, we've got to make sure that it looks and feels a little bit different and matches what we've seen while the World Cup was on. I think we can talk about where we think the international game will go uh, a bit later on. But I think, again, it's the metrics you use to decide whether it's been a success or not. And, um, you know, 30 million people watched it on the BBC. We've never had that kind of exposure before. Um, what was it, 194 million impressions across various digital platforms. So again, we've never had digital platforms for a World Cup before. So, you know, 2013 was a great World Cup, but there are so many ways now that you can, um, you know, find your rugby league. You, you know, the, the Rock preaching the word of Samoa in the lead up to the final. But you have something like 350 million people on his Instagram feed. I'm pretty sure that he knew very little about rugby league until he was told Samoa were playing. But he was incredibly earnest about what he was asking them to do. And of his 350 million that he was preaching to, they will have now known what rugby league is. And I think when you when you when you add those sort of figures into was it half a million people actually attended games that it actually was a success. Um, I, I think the one thing you have no control over is what's on the field, and we we were pretty lucky. 
Um, we were just talking earlier that the men's competition was in two halves. The the first half, the ability to tell the story of... I thought Lebanon was a great story. You, you know, Michael Checker, arguably the most charismatic coach we had in the whole competition. Um, Greece, as we've mentioned. Uh, J- Jamaica, the ability to interview some young lads who'd come over from Jamaica to talk about what they were going to do going back. Um, yeah, we, we've never had that opportunity before. That's fantastic. Women's competition, I think... The big standout game for me, with the greatest respect to Australia, New Zealand, and York, was the Brazil best quality of it. It was Brazil, Brazil Canada. Canada yeah. Partly because um, of the extraordinary way the game finished, but also because Brazil reminded us why we fell in love with the game in the first place. They were so refreshing. Uh, and the wheelchair, uh, the way that finished, couldn't have been better for the tournament as a whole. But again, talking to people like the USA and what they're now hoping to do on the back of having played in a World Cup um, I, th- there are endless possibilities what we need to get away from is thinking oh you know it's, it's Lee against Wakefield three times next year we, we've got to change that but I think so just to put in there as well I think for me you know a, a big thing about this World Cup and you know, I've gone on about this for years and years and years for people who listen to me around here we've gone away from what we were as an entertainment rugby league for me had just become something that we did because we were passionate about it and we'd always done it was it fun to watch no was it sometimes boring? Yeah. Was there any excitement? No. And then you look at this, not only the, the Men's World Cup, but for me the big legacy of this World Cup will be the wheelchair rugby. We've already seen it, you know, and I've been sprouting about it, for shouting about it, how good it was, and people are like, right, yeah. People are now, there's clubs jumping up all over the place wanting to play wheelchair rugby. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, for me, that will be, this World Cup will be the birth of a boom sport in wheelchair rugby league. Oh, we were saying this in the way Billy. It's we've got to take advantage as, as a sport of that while the iron is hot. In, in so much as that, if you look at previous Olympics where Grevens won the gold medal in curling or whatever, and everyone goes, "Oh, I want to go play curling," well, you can't do that because an ice rink and some stones and stuff. But a lot of clubs now have these wheelchairs available to them. All have a club. Leeds, obviously, it's the. Uh, Former champions, Halifax and Chandler's Wiggins. They all, they all have these chairs available for people and they're all trying out sessions. And it was great to see Phil Roberts, who was on the, the show when we were in Ashton uh, back seemingly months ago now. He tweeted a picture yesterday of loads of people in Wigan just trying it out. I could imagine, sorry, Phil, I could no. imagine, couldn't you, half past seven on, on a weekday night, a spot for wheelchair rugby would have as big an audience as Emmerdale and EastEnders because it is entertainment. Absolutely fantastic. And people. You know, I, obviously living in Hull and, and working in Hull, 99% of people are aware of rugby league, but not everybody watches it. People I work with, none of them are rugby league fans, were absolutely spellbound by wheelchair rugby league, and that's fantastic. I think the, again, figures tell you part of the story. 1.3 million watched the final. There you now, go. With the greatest respect to Sky, who have kept the game going for 20 odd years, you know, if they get 200,000 for a men's Super League game, that's, that's a good figure. Uh, BBC Two stayed on our uh, stayed on air for half an hour after the, the the World Cup final because they wanted the reaction, they wanted the interviews, they, they wanted the stories, and the best stories are in wheelchair rugby league. You know the people that play it are absolutely fantastic. But I think you know th- there's two things now. It's what do we do domestically in terms of participation? Because all of the teams that you just mentioned, the Leeds and the Halifax and the Wigan, they've been doing this for about five years. They've got to the elite level. So, and the whole KR are one of the clubs through their foundation that are saying we're, we're trying rugby league uh, in a wheelchair. Um, I think um, Batley are doing it, yeah, York are doing it. So, we, Wakefield, uh, um, I think, in their second, second go. 
So the elite teams are looking to have development sides underneath them and more clubs are going to play it. Widening the pool is exactly what we're all about. I think whether it's men's, women or wheelchair, wheelchair will do that relatively quickly. But we shouldn't expect anybody who gets in a wheelchair to, you know, Paul would be fantastic at wheelchair, would be because he's got the vision of how you play the game and he can bring abled and disabled people mm. onto a ball and, you know... You should try it. You'd be fantastic. I'll have a go. Um, I love the audience. You don't have to tackle. Yeah, you don't have to tackle. Yeah, the happy days to me, yeah. But but, you, yeah. You say that though, Craig, but, but then you see you don't have to tackle. And then you see some of the, you know... <laughs> it's easy to tackle. I, I, would yeah, rather, I would rather try and not make a tackle on a normal rugby league field. No, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, than be in a wheelchair where somebody's going to actually knock me over. Yeah. <laughs> and which, it might hurt. Which brings us around to the point that the French were making after they, after they lost... In the final, the French lost, didn't they? they lost. I was in the apparently, yeah. Were, were, the, the, the were press, there some sour grapes in the press room? The press conference is extraordinary. Twenty-two minute long whinge by the by the French, who I don't. I may have missed you were there as well. You might have. I don't recall them congratulating England at any oh, stage. No, they definitely didn't. They just complained <laughs> for um, for twenty minutes about. They complained things. about the rules that they invented. Yeah, one of one of the things they were saying was that it's now getting sports already. Basically, too tough for um, for for quadriplegic people because of the use of um, of non-disabled athletes in the sport. Um, I just wondered what you you thought about that. I mean, the the big thing that was made about the wheelchair game during the the World Cup was how inclusive it is. Well, that male, female, disabled, non-disabled, and I think that's a big strength of it. And I, I can see the. I can see what the French are saying to an extent, but you have to have two. I think, is it a maximum of two non-disabled people no, in yeah, the team? Five, five, yeah. five aside. Um, I think that balance is probably just about right. But what, what do you think? No, about I think that? again, if we were talking about it before, is the fact that you know it is so anybody can play it, and regardless of, of your you know your body shape or whatever. And, you know, saying to the, to the audience here that you go back twenty years, you know, we all remember a rugby team run out onto a pitch. You didn't need numbers to know who played where. Whereas now, a rugby team comes out, you've no idea because everybody's the same. Everybody's big, strong, fast, tough. You know, I think in that that wheelchair, you know, what your body shape is, you know, anything about it is kind of irrelevant because everybody's the same when they're strapped into one of those chairs. And it's, you know, it's so fast, it's so physical. As I said, for me, it is it is the greatest sport that I've seen in. in New sport to my eyes in the last ten years. Easily. I think I think you've got to split the elite level and the community level. That you know there is always going to be room for anybody to play this sport, but you're going to have to be damn good to play at elite level. When you look at and that's how it should be like, exactly in any variance in sport. So you look at Jack Brown or Nathan Collins. They've honed their art over the last five or six years. So I don't have an issue. I, I think the French were were throughout the tournament looking for reasons why they had an inkling they might not win it. Um, and wanted to get some agenda before they play it again in, in 2025. But no, I, I think um, I, I know somebody who is a quadriplegic who is going to Halifax next Monday to play for the very first time. They're not interested in playing for England in the 2025 World Cup. They love the idea that even though they are disabled to the point of where society is almost telling them there is a limit to what they can do, they can go and get smashed around in their wheelchair and they, they love the thought of that they may only ever go once or twice they may make some new friends that they, they wouldn't have previously come across they might become part of a community team that's what we're all about so no I, I think we can take the 
French complaints with the pinch of salt it deserves. I mean, they did start talking about the referee after the semi-finals. So that was, it was quite good. Very French. Well, have you ever seen a referee on. display like <laughs> the uh, French gentleman on the no. show? I think we. You've spoken to referees in your time. Beyond belief, isn't it? <laughs> it's beyond belief what, what you witness. And, and as you said, 1.3 million people witness that. And it will be um, for as much as the final will be remembered for England winning and the winning try and, and what a great spectacle it was. That will, will come out of it as well. Um, yeah. I'm, I think I've abused referees a lot in the time, and I've never ever been abused back by anybody. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's phenomenal. It was phenomenal to watch. But it added to the law of, of the coverage, whole, whole and concept, it was great yeah. that France lost because he became a comedic figure. Mm. Um, and, and people will talk about that in the context mm. of it was wheelchair ability. The other thing I think is we've now got a slightly separate sport. I mean, the great thing about it is it's clearly rugby league. The rules are rugby league. You know, rugby union for once must be kicking themselves that they didn't a patent the word wheelchair rugby, um, and also that the rules that they came up with are nothing to do with rugby. This you have to tactically be rugby league, and there is a direct link. But actually, we've got a separate saleable product, like like Craig was saying. Now you can go to a broadcaster and say if we can get you. Maybe every fortnight, because I don't know if you could get replicate that every week. No. But a British Super League, whereby uh, you will see on your screen, not dissimilar, involving some of the personalities that you've now come to recognise, those players in their club kits. And when the Challenge Cup comes around, the Catalan Dragons will be in it again. And we all know that rivalry now exists between England and France, and we want to promote that for the next three years I, I think we have a different saleable product so instead of saying to Sky or Premier or whoever it might be you can have a game alongside what you've already bought mm. it's now you want it you're going to have to pay, pay some it. money for yeah. it it wouldn't just have to be if you're talking about expanding it wouldn't just have to be rugby league clubs there would Absolutely. It? There'd be no reason why Southampton Football Club couldn't Can't have, have a, a wheelchair rugby league team or Saracens Rugby Union Saracens Rugby Union Absolutely. they exist Any, <laughs> it, it's the sort of sport oh, that, no, that, that can expand beyond our, our boundaries well, it, it's our interesting you say that because one of the people the first people <clears throat> to tweet congratulations to England were Ipswich mm. Town which I, you know, I can't imagine Ipswich Town would ever have had a reason to geographically be involved in anything rugby league but there they were sending their congratulations because they'd been caught up in the euphoria of England winning a World Cup well the, maybe if we were a bit more proactive than we are we would then be ringing up the foundation at Ipswich Town and saying, why don't you put on wheelchair rugby league? Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be related to your football club. Uh, it doesn't have to be um, in a facility that you own. But your kit can go on, a, you know, 10 people who want to play wheelchair rugby league. And if you're good at it, we've got a southern division you can go in and there's a potential of being in a super league. And they it, can still be called Ipswich Town Football be, Club. And it's the same with Plymouth Argyle if they want to do Geographically, the sheet of paper is actually as blank as it's ever been with wheelchair. We're hamstrung a bit with the men's game. Women's we need to look at. Wheelchair actually is this moment to conquer the world. Mm. Because you just need, don't you? There's, there's no venue other than a sports hall, which we've got in every school, every sports centre. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think the success is obvious that we've been talking about wheelchair rugby for 15 minutes now <laughs> on, on the back of a World Cup. That says enough for me, doesn't it? You know, ticking a box, amazing, amazing 
job done by the wheelchair people. And the Australians aren't good at it yet. Because they... That's enough, that'll do for me. That'll do for me. I want to see New Zealand and Samoans, because I want to see a hacker. I want to see this better, because that was one of the great things about the World Cup. As Phil mentioned, lots of digital impressions and whatever that means. Of the Samoa-Tonga clash, pre-match clash. They may have never seen any of the match, but they saw the the CB Towers and the CB Tower, and what an epic moment that was. But I think what it did, going back to the main rugby league or the whole competition, for me, I think it did prove that there's life outside of the NRL. You know, and it was great that you know those players did choose the indigenous country that they they were from. You know, the Samoans and the Tongans that could have played for Australia, could have played for New Zealand, chose those lands, and you know, I think that's massive for those people coming through further on down the line to say look play for your country of birth well, it, 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 off the back of that now <clears throat> the legacy is of all of that that the NRL are going to probably change the rules of state of origin because they want the best players to play in the state of origin so you know you can't have um, players that have chosen to play for Samoa playing now for, for New South Wales or Queensland you, you can and I think while that they're a tier two while, while they're a tier two nation yeah, so but, the thing to but, do is not accelerate Samoa and Tonga to be tier but, one but, nations but, but that's, but that's then the NRL well. looking after the NRL isn't it well, to I, not accelerate them to a tier one nation again, I Samoa just, have just made a, a World Cup final absolutely should they not be classed as a tier no, one nation because tier one enable you've got to have a certain level of domestic yeah. competition got have a certain level of finance and governance and they haven't got it and this is something Matt Parrish was talking about in the press conference after the final don't make us a tier one nation let our guys play origin because we've reached the world cup final because they know how to play origin yeah, type football exactly. but let them play for Samoa when the internationals come around I think the other great thing to come out of this tournament is it's been player led um, and, and I think you know you two guys will know far better than we will who just get the joy of watching likes of you players that once players have a voice it changes the sport a little bit and every interview we did with someone who was supposedly a heritage player starting with Luke Keary for Ireland I think made such a case as to why it was so important for them to be pulling on that that Mm. particular shirt and they want more of it you know even Paolo in the desolation of not winning a World Cup final was saying when can we do this again when can we block out some fixtures so that our guys can play for Samoa again but for me as well, you know, in any sport, the pinnacle of any sport is playing for your country. Yeah. And rugby league again have gone away from that. Yeah. You know, from every kid who I've ever known playing rugby or any sport, you know, they dream yeah to score a goal in a cup final or to score a try. But it's to play for your country. You know, and if you're lucky enough, you know, I never did it as a professional, but did it 12, 14 times I think as a junior international. Even now, it's given me goose pimples at the thought of standing there with your international top on, listening to that national anthem, and still to this day, the, the 12 most proudest, apart from my kids being born, I think that's a good thing, I'm not sure sometimes, <laughs> but the proudest moment of my life was list, playing for my country at under-19 level, listening to those anthems, and we've gone away from that, whereas the pinnacle of our game now is New South Wales against Queensland. Well, it's and a pinnacle of the NRL's game. It's, it's a pinnacle of our game. Yeah, it's, it's a pinnacle of our game. I agree with that. But this is where the money involved in it, the sports, that's all But what we've got to do is got to get away from that, and that's where we're going back. Where 
the NRL is dictating to the international, international game what the rules it's are. It's it should be, be the other way around. Well, if anything, that this World Cup has yeah. taught you with the player-led voices. With, That's what I think. You know, Junior Paolo playing for Samoa, with Kiri being a part of the Ireland squad. You know, Adam Dewey playing for the mm. Lebanese team. And, you know, all of them superstars of our game. Mitchell Moses is going to be the next million-pound player in, in Australia who played for Lebanon in the World Cup. And his voice become projects so far now that the international game can sort of dictate back to the, the national sport in Australia. Well, and that's where I think Michael Checker was so important yeah. because clearly as a coach his reputation globally is, is bigger than a nation like Lebanon. Yeah. Um, uh, but he has already said if they'll have me, if they'll have me. He'd like to be around in 2025. Well, yeah. you know, theoretically, if Mal Meninga, stand, Mal Meninga stands <laughs> down between now and then, he could be a coach of Australia. He's got all the credentials, but he wants... You know, he talked passionately about taking this group of Lebanese players to Beirut this time next year. They don't want to play a game. They just want to invest in their heritage. Now, that kind of thing we haven't had spoken about for yeah. as long as I can remember. If he's promoting that message, if players like Moses are saying this is a guy I want to play for, then there is a chance for International Rugby League to take its, its proper place at the pinnacle again. We've got to open a window up for that, haven't we? We can't, we can't have it like we've had now where we're Sean Wayne's fighting against our Super League competition to get an international break. You know, you look at Rugby Union and for all you know, the goods and the bads of Rugby League and Rugby Union, but there's this window every year that everybody knows about. You know, and the, the Aussies and the, and the Kiwis and South Africa are coming over here and they're playing our teams we've got to make that window available at some point in our season for an international break that grows the international game because no sport in this world has a that is successful has a club that's bigger than the country and unfortunately that's where we've got to in rugby league we need to be the world cup you know you look at the football now you know we're never going to be football we're never going to be but that World Cup story that's been told now and you look at you know where teams like Japan and South Korea and Morocco and you know all these are now in the last 16 of the World Cup and it's just you know it means so much for those players to be in you know you saw Uruguay getting knocked out and their players absolutely fuming with VR so let's not go down that route anyway we've got enough to start out without that but you see what it means to represent your country now you know, those guys are on 100 grand a week but yeah, they're, they're absolutely fuming that they've got, not got a decision because Uruguay, you know, Suarez, who's a, probably a billionaire, sat crying because his World Cup is over, playing for his country. That has got to be the pinnacle. What's funny, though? Um, <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> well, I'm just very basic yeah. at times. I was going to ask you about player power, but I'll, I'll ask you something different instead in first. And we've spoken to Paul Rowley a couple of weeks ago in Salford, uh, in Stockport rather, and he mentioned it. Ian Watson said it on the telly. Talk about origin. Then, what's your Lancashire? Is that what we bring back, or do we do we bring back the? Do we have some meaningful internationals mid-season? How would you? Play well, it, 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 the, the the international that we've got with the All Stars in England now is a competition in itself, and one which the All Stars have won. You know, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to commentate on that game, and. Um, I agree with Craig. There's got to be something in the calendar which means that playing for your country is available and it again grows the game. So um, I, I'm not sure how much you block out or 
you know, or whether we reduce the games in Super League so that we can have that international break or whatever it may be. But for me, to build on that legacy is, is it really important. I think there's two two points there. I think Paul's absolutely right. Where again, we are dictated to by Super League chairmen who say that we need to have this many games now. Unfortunately, you know, or, or fortunately, whichever way you look at it, I think we're in a position now where, you know, something we've not talked about. Channel Four is involvement now. For me, Channel Four was one of the biggest. You know, we've sort of just forgotten about last season, gone on to the World Cup, and, and talking about next season. I thought Channel Four's promotion of the game, the time of the game, the whole presentation of it was far superior to Sky for me. And as as a viewer. Much preferred that what what Channel Four were giving me to what Sky was giving me, so we've got to grow that and we've got to grow the revenue because I absolutely understand from where the chairman's point of view are coming from. You know, we want to have a full time game, we want to pay our guys big money. To do that, we need revenue. If we're not going to get the revenue from our external sponsors, we have to get that from revenue through the, the people coming. These good people paying. You know, we're lucky we don't pay for a game, do we? So we're really really lucky. But we need the. Clubs need that money to be able to invest in their teams, but we need less games so that the quality becomes more. So how do we do that? That's the tricky one. Now going back to your first point about Yorkshire Lancashire, I I think we've given up on that process far too easy for my, you know, I'm Cumbrian born and bred. Yorkshire versus Cumbria, sorry. Yeah. But again, again, that, that's a whole different story, Cumbria, isn't it? But we forget that. We look at, you know, from anybody who knows rugby league, the World Cup final was absolutely, you know, a great experience, but still the greatest game, competitiveness of greatest players, is New South Wales versus Queensland. That series is a completely different level to everything we normally see, even at international rugby, I believe. Saying that, Australia and New Zealand was probably the best game of rugby I've ever seen in my, in my life. In my lifetime, probably. But generally, that origin is the biggest level, but we forget. That in 1980 it wasn't at that level. That's grown and grown and grown to be the pinnacle it is now. So what we did, we introduced the origin. When was it? First time. 1980. You know, and it didn't work once. So and what it was did we only do? one game. What did we do? We throw it in the bin. Oh, you mean our origin? Yeah. I think there's there's two things out of that. One is IMG have recognised what you're talking about, and after this season we are losing loot fixtures. And we are losing the magic weekend. There will be more time to ally the seasons which I think they can see commercial merit of doing that which we haven't before also the, the chairman that sat on the board of Super League have now all come off it and I think this, this gang of six which will be Rugby League commercial will run the game um, so I think we, we will move into a, a sphere on the back of the World Cup where people will look at 67,000 people turning up at Old Trafford for games that didn't involve England and that's the second time that's happened in a World Cup final that we virtually sold out arguably the best stadium in the north of England with a match that didn't have the home nation. So imagine what it would be like if we did have the home nation. So I think that recognition from this World Cup is already happening. I think the fact that um, Peter Valandis and, and Abdo are on the international board now means that the NRL's perspective on the international game is actually going to be heard. Yeah. Now, we may not agree with it, and there may be some stipulations that they want that... You know, still put them at the forefront of everything but actually they're sitting around the table and we haven't had that before it's like we're an organisation IRL with no money but we're going to tell you when you're going to play internationals and, and the NRL saying well 
actually we bring all the money into the game we effectively have a collective bargaining agreement with all the players we'll tell you when we're releasing them so I think all that dynamic is changing and it's on the back of this World Cup and the fact that even the NRL gets to a point where its market is saturated and it sees that yeah what more can they do with Origin they sell out three stadiums a year every year they're looking at maybe taking it to the Far East in the future, bringing it to London in the far in the future, taking it to America in the well, future. All that of that ties in with the international game. If you look at if you look at sport and generating revenue, America is always the best at that, isn't it? And look what they do with with as daft as it sounds, Super League. They're not bringing sorry the uh, Super American football. Yeah, yeah, they're bringing the NFL to England, aren't they? And three or four times a year, selling out Wembley. But they haven't easily. set up a team. Yeah. What they've done is bought us they an entertainment the spectacle, yeah. and and the NRL should should and could and may now be predisposed to doing the same. So if you were to and we've had this debate before that if you were to say in five years' time the middle state of origin game is going to Wembley, you'd sell it out. You'd sell it out with people who are from the Southern Hemisphere that live in and around London. But but I book my ticket tomorrow. Yeah. I'm sure you would. Uh, that's what I was just going to say. You'd be on the phone straight away, wouldn't you? And you wouldn't be trying to give tickets away, would you? I'm not sure I'd be buying a ticket, but I'd certainly be trying to get a gig <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> yeah. but, but there wouldn't. There also wouldn't be this, we need to reduce tickets to £10 because it's rugby league. It would be. It's a premium but, seat. It's 80 quid. Take it or leave it. How ridiculous is, is the fact that the World Cup finishes and we say, come watch England versus France, it's only 15 quid. It's like, no, this is supposed to be the... Elite level of rugby league now, but we're giving it away a bargain basement price. I know, it, I know, we know England, France might not be competitive now, but the general public at large may not know that, and they might pay twenty five quid or thirty quid. Oh, I think it's putting a women's game on as well. It's you make it a double header, and then you you pay a price that is slightly a premium on a, a general super. League should be game. playing less than watching Wakefield versus Lee. No, I know this is the example now. Wakefield versus we could say Hull Cow versus Hull FC. Hull FC. <laughs> but surely that's the surely that's the pinnacle of the. Yeah. But that's game, that, that's game. that's the dilemma for the game, isn't it? Where you've got to look at that Lee versus Wakefield, <coughs> Hull versus Rovers. If you look at the league table, they've got to be appealing. Now, obviously, it's a bit unfair because the Hull Rovers, whether they were in any division, you'd get you'd, the, it'd, be it'd be appealing because of just the. Well, I'm waiting for the Hull the netball game. derby when when that, when Hull FC set up the netball team. Now Hull Cow, you know, the so. But, but that's for us as a sport. Now, we, for me, we only do that by, you know, investing in the product and getting it right. And I'm, have we got our structures right? Have we got the coaching set up right? You know, from the players coming through. Well, well everything that yeah, yeah, the the company that have, have, have come into the game, which are stopping all loaf issues. Say we haven't, yeah, mm-hmm. because they're coming in to make change for for what they believe will be better commercially and sponsorship wise and revenue wise for the game off the back of the way we've done it well the game the game is in no better state I don't think or probably even in a worse state than when we went to Super League in 1996 well we were attracting the best players there from both Rugby Union and and from the NRL and we're not now but I think you know the fact that there's talk and it may well not happen that Owen Farrell is being courted uh, you know, we haven't heard a big rugby union name linked with rugby league for a very long time. It may but, never happen. But John Logan coming to Wakefield, yeah, yeah. Million, million pounds. Well, I heard he wanted to play with Paul. That's why. <laughs> well, Wally Lewis played there. He did. Rare Price played there. That'll go for me. But you know, we're we're talking about things that we haven't, and and I think it does come on the back of you know this whole whole KR changing their ownership model, um, and and new chairman, new investment. Was actually said in the press release is on the back of what IMG are proposing, right. and what they're proposing is a grading system 
So it gets to the heart of what you were saying about we need change, how do we make the product look better? Well, the perennial debate is always about should we have promotion relegation? Are we big enough? Does that stymie a coaching structure, a junior development structure, an investment structure? And if it does, because that's what we are, because we're not football, then I think IMG bringing back in franchising by another name is at least addressing that issue. Um, so I, I think we can be positive on it. You know, so, suddenly we're talking about a potential World Club challenge when it wasn't on the table before the World Cup started. It may not happen. Apparently Penrith still wants some more financial guarantees. But the fact that Saints are gearing up to go over there and play two games... On Channel 4. On Channel 4. We haven't had that conversation before. So, again, I'm hopeful that this World Cup has made a difference even to the domestic game. Well, I, th- I think... Again, going back to us as rugby league fans, you know, we all we all want bigger, we all want better, but we don't want ourselves to change. You know, we, we are, aren't we? You know, it's we're all right. It's everybody else that needs to change. You know, and, it, and that's really, really difficult if you're little old Featherston or little old. You know, you've got no chance of being in Super League because. But so it, I do get it. It's, it's really, really difficult. But I think I, that's the first I've heard of it that you'd said that the, the Super League. Chairman was stepping out from the group. That has to be the. That's the best thing for me that's happened in rugby league in a long, long time because it's Turkey's voting for Christmas, isn't it? You know, otherwise, you know, there's there's people making decisions for the good of their club rather than the good of the sport. And until we're governed by a body that is looking at the sport as a whole and looking at what's not best for Huddersfield, Salford, Hull KR, Hull FC, what's best for rugby league? And that's where we need to get to. And again, you know, for me, this is all. What are we? Nearly thirty years too late, isn't it? it? Again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We had these debates, and this was the plan in nineteen ninety-six when we went to Super League. It should have happened then. It didn't. We've got to, you know, a full generation or almost two or three generations of players have gone through that mill and, and existed, and there's still a heartland of the game like Cumbria who still haven't got an avenue for junior players to play Super League without getting in the car and travelling one hundred and fifty miles to Wigan, Warrington witness or wherever that may be one of the arguments about Cumbria though would be it still doesn't have a, a modern facility and that's nothing to do with rugby league that's to do with the Cumbrian councils the people of Cumbria lobbying for that kind of a facility and if again IMG uh, or the commercial arm that involves IMG starts saying facilities is a certain percentage of whether you'll be in Super League go and get it sorted out well, there's a chance for you to be in that is what we're actually moving it, it moving it all forward and, and I think you're right that there are, there are some very talented players still in the region but what's the region itself done you yeah know, no Ky- I can't Ky- oh, Ky- Kyle Amor was on um, our, our, was it uh, where St. Were Helens, St. Helens St. Helens saying you know he's still a massive fan of merger and even though he's from one of those two teams and it's the dreaded word you know, there is a Cumbrian talking about how it's to the only way. Rugby league, it's the only way it will happen. I've been yeah, saying that. Since, but he can now have. That's why debate. I'm not allowed back in the town. I've been saying it since But he can have the debate now, as indeed can you, because um, almost IMG are saying that table is there for you. Well, I'm going to get back to talking about mergers in a minute. But Pete Smith, Yorkshire Evening Post. What can we do to get more eyes on rugby league in terms of you know media coverage? We've had this World Cup. What would you change now? To get more eyes on the sport, in terms of, you mean Any, anything, anything at all? If you were, if you were advising IMG, he'd have kickoffs at half seven. Well, I was going to say half seven, half past seven. Yeah, but um, I, th- I think you've got to accept that that the national media is 
has, has turned its back on, on rugby league or drifted away from rugby league. And I don't think that's, that's going to change. Um, we still... We, we still need to I think still need to work with the media though I think a lot of clubs now think that the, the the best way for them to promote themselves is on their own website and I don't I don't agree with that I think um, you know the, there are certain clubs just won't put press releases out or anything they'll, they'll announce something on Twitter and, and expect the media to pick that up and I don't, I don't think that's the way to go forward I think the game needs to engage more with the media, but obviously getting getting Channel Four involved is a good thing. Um, I think we've had sixty one games on the BBC over the last two months, which is a good thing. Um, I think that, and I think the World Cup and particularly the wheelchair has probably changed some opinions of, of rugby league from people outside. What I know you don't like the term, but Heartlands of the game. Um, I think it was I notable traditional areas. traditional areas of the game then I think it was notable that a lot of the I didn't notice the negativity in the media coverage of the World Cup that you normally get when it comes to um, to the league I don't know if anybody else did but I can remember in, in certainly 2000 and 2013 there were pieces in the national papers um, knocking pieces about rugby league um, critical of the sport, and I don't, I don't think we've had so much of that this time. Um, but rugby league doesn't have a presence in the national media. But there's got to be a story to tell. Pete, there are, there are stories, there are stories to tell, but we need to, we need to sell them. But, but again, you know, from my point of view, and again, I'll go back to, you know, you guys, you love rugby league. You know, you're born and bred, love it. You know, you've got. A, you know, your great job, you're reporting on a sport that you love, you know, on a daily basis. But, you know, it's like any journalist, you're going to go and report the stories that are there. You know, we're saying about Wheelchair Rugby League, if Wheelchair Rugby League booms like it is doing, there's going to be a journalist and there's going to be a page in every, every national paper because that's what people want. Unfortunately, we've been given a product that nobody really wants. I can hold my hand up and say that last year I got rid of my Sky Sports purely because I was watching it because it was there and I had it not because I wanted to because I felt like I had to because I'm, I'm a rugby league fan I must watch rugby league didn't enjoy it didn't enjoy the presentation didn't enjoy any of the games in fact ended up being frustrated with my family because it was <laughs> so I got rid of it now if I'm not watching it what chance have we got of getting new people in and keeping those people we've got to have a product that people want to buy into we also need to sorry, we also need to, to make people that come into the game a little bit more welcome I think you know. Look at um, look at Toronto. <laughs> there was a lot of negativity towards Toronto, wasn't there? And, and they don't. They've gone. We've we've lost that. Well, that but this was yeah. a new a new team and a new market opening up, and new people coming into the game who absolutely love the game. And we had people in the traditional areas. Like, mm, we don't well, that, that's my point, Pete. Is what I was saying before is as rugby league. We're saying we want to expand. We want to expand, but we're not merging with them because we're we're mm. traditional and we're. And again, I'm going to say Featherstone, where Wakefield, and or where Whitehaven, and where Workington, we deserve to be of our own right. But unfortunately, nobody's got that right to be able to do that. The sport's got to decide what we're there, and then we've got to get a product that people want to buy into. That's the key to it for me. We're I think, I think it's also about stories, and it's it's what you were saying right at the very beginning that talking to some of the national journalists over the course of 
this World Cup and some of the ones that came in from abroad, they were being rung up and asked for stories on Greece. So they knew that Greece were playing England and suddenly there's this, well, tell us a bit about Greek Rugby League and, you know, a thousand words on a story about why Greek Rugby League has been persecuted mm. who would then get beaten by 90 points at Bramall Lane but nobody cares because they want to tell the story of these young lads who are being coming out of the dressing room being mobbed by kids even though you know their coach has been in tears in the press conference because this is what it's all about it's about you know the women's game has given us lots of stories because I think we're at that very early stage of well, who is Jodie Cunningham? You know, who, who is Courtney Winfield Hill? I need to know a bit more about them. You know, Courtney Winfield has been a professional cricketer. Well, that's that's more interesting than who she actually plays rugby league for. But yeah. we'll also tell the story of, oh, she coaches the Northern Diamonds as well as plays Super League rugby league. Oh, there's a story there. We want to tell that story. But wheelchair is full of people who, just to get into the chair, have got a fantastic story, of which James Simpson is probably the best example at the moment um, and has been a wonderful ambassador so I think what's changing is merely reporting the game um, we need to find more exciting games to report on a more regular basis which goes back to do we play too many games do they all feel and look the same do they all kick off too late why would the national media be interested when there's a football match on at the same time but we can tell them stories the World Cup has proved that out there is a different form of media that particularly the long form um, mainstream media, broadsheet media, will tell. You might not get the, se- you know, you might need to get in the, the sensational newspapers. Somebody who's done something they shouldn't have done, and we've got well, plen- we've got we've got, pl- we got plenty of, of them. We're on the front of the sun before the World Cup. We've got the old so redemption stories that, if they yeah. need them. But I just think maybe the agenda's changed a little bit, and we've actually got more stories to tell. But I also think as well, our way into the national media in the world that we live in now, it's all about diversity. Mm. And maybe the, our way into the national media isn't, unfortunately, the pinnacle be the men's game. You know, it's a disability game, it's the wheelchair game, it's the women's game. Whereas, you know, you just look at now, and, and again, it's where we've gone from women's soccer or football, you know, which, let's be honest, probably five years ago wasn't a great spectacle. You know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't good, it was... Whereas now... Women's football is as equally as good, if not better, than men's football. You look at Jill Scott, who's now a national celebrity on the back of what she's done. But you saw, actually, if if anybody is boring like me and watched I'm a Celebrity, (laughs) her actual talent of football, when she's in the camp and playing head tennis with with the other guy, her skills were phenomenal. She's not just a figure, she can play. It was banned in our house for the the politician whose name I won't mention. But we we, we, were team Jill Scott and all that. Now... For a boringly pointless piece of analysis I did in 4020 magazine, so I write a TV column every month, I analysed the lack of rugby league players on a question of sport, which is a terrible programme. Uh, and as soon as I did this piece of research, Paul McShane turned up, and then John Wilkin was on a few weeks later. <laughs> he's, he's popular in Paul, isn't he, John Wilkin? Um, but what I did notice was the amount of women's rugby union players that were on there and whatever. And you mentioned the women's game, we haven't spoken about it yet in, in great detail. I've long been a proponent, perhaps, that Wakefield Castle and Featherston should merge their operations into one because, as we've seen, Leeds are at the top with Saints and with, with York now. But there's no whole team in the Women's Super League, not even in the second Women's Super League tier. Should... I don't, I don't want to say this, do I? The, the big word. Should Hull... I mean, you had the joint academy for a bit. Should Hull FC and Hull KR women you know, wear a black and red shirt and try and put rugby league... 
Women's Rugby League in Hull in that top echelon of the table? Well, well, well ultimately, Rich, if they keep doing what they're doing now, they're probably not going to get there. And maybe they should do something different like that. And like Greg said, with the Cumbrian legends, if they, if they want to stand on their own and, and not invest in, in that, then they're not going to get into the top division in some week. And neither are the women if, if we keep doing that. The investment of the women's game, I'll say... I was really fortunate during COVID that Arsenal was able to, to commentate on games and be live at stadiums. The best game of rugby league I watched <coughs> that season through COVID was my very first women's game between York uh, between Wigan and York at Wakefield. Yes, yes. And the skill on the show is phenomenal. And what you just said about Jill Scott's skill, what she's actually a celebrity for is a football. Yeah. And like you said about the women's football, it's... The Euros win has, has catapulted it to greatness. Um, for, for us with the women's game, we can catapult that to greatness with the stories of, of Courtney Winfield Hill, of, of the backstory of it and what she does in her personal life. And uh, not only a skill on show, um, and watching some of the women's games, rugby league games, are phenomenal. The skill level of some of the players and you know the way they play the game is, is refreshing because... As you said, Craig, you cancelled your Sky Sports subscri- subscription because everything looks the same. Yeah. In the women's game, to me, it doesn't. No. It's really refreshing because it takes me back to ultimately so, when I played. When you played. Yeah, yeah. because I, I love to see players showing skill and we don't become that like sports earlier about Wayne Bennett's book. Um, the rugby league player in the future will be six foot two, ninety-six kilos, be able to 100 metres in just under 11 seconds. And that's what the game's become. The women's game's completely different. So we've got to, and it's we've refreshing. Got, we've got to put money into the women's game yeah. and improve it, but also not to the point that it becomes a well, that, replica of where the men's I, game yeah. is. I, mean, I think the women's game is better to watch yeah. than the men's Absolutely. game. Because, like, like you both said, they're, they're playing the game how it should be played. Pure. Yeah, yeah. There's no they're not, they're not been overcoached. There's no wrestle. They just go out and play rugby league, and it's it's great. We yeah. we don't want to get too carried away because realistically, there's only in this country probably four, three or four good teams. That good can teams. Win. You've got Leeds, yeah. York, and Saints who will be competitive when they play each other. But that's probably all at the moment. We need to expand. That, I think the interesting thing, I think thing the fact Leeds are going to start paying the players is a, well, is a step forward the, I don't think it will make a lot of difference no the, the big debate the, after England got knocked out was Craig Richards saying to compete with Australia and New Zealand we need to go professional we certainly need to recompense women for playing the game but that's the broken time payment from 1895 we're not at just giving them money will improve the standard of the game we've got to increase participation first and I'm not sure we're going to do that in huge amounts in traditional areas. I think there'll be a willingness to get more girls involved. It's going to take a time for them to come through. Like the wheelchair, our blank sheet of paper is in areas where women aren't currently playing. So it's like expanding on what London Broncos are doing, what Bedford Tigers are doing, what Cardiff are doing. I think that there is a, almost a map that is non-geographically specific. And to follow the men's game because that's what we've always done would be completely the wrong way to expand on this World Cup we need if we're going to do taster sessions let's have them in areas where we don't currently play or there's a modicum of interest and, and if that is it switch town and ringing them up and saying you want a wheelchair team by the way in the summer you want a women's rugby league team 
and if you do then there's a division you can play in there's a team up the road in Bedford you can play against there's a there's a uh, we'll get Jodie Cunningham down who you may have seen on the you know the, the Women's World Cup to come and, and, and do a, a session for you all of that I think is how we now need to be planning the, that's where the resource should be put into not necessarily mm. paying the players um, because I think what re-watching a bit of that Australian game and when, when we were there at the World Cup final you were just in awe at some of those skills you know what people like Ali Brigginshaw can do under pressure because she plays in the NRLW under that kind of pressure every time she takes the field was astonishing um, even seeing some of the individual tackles that New Zealand made even though they lost the game by 50 points was just ridiculous it's a level of physicality that we don't have merely putting money into the sport won't give you that level of physicality you need more games well, you look at, that are competitive look at the so you need more people playing look at the Aussie team though what Paul was saying about people all looking the same in the, the men's game that, that Aussie team they're all the same build and the same height not all of them the, prop, the props could have played on the wing and vice, vice versa you look at New Zealand who, who aren't quite so much from the, the professional they have some NRLW players but not the whole team and Eng, England don't have any professionals there's more of a, a variety of, of but I, but I also think, types and things. I think in, that's better. I think that's better. But in places you don't like want to watch every, I, everybody look the same. You, there's always got to be room in the sport for a Rob Burrow or some rolling bloke. Wheelchair. But in case, but in the case of places like Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, where we've already got, if you like, the barest toehold of women playing the sport, there's massive expansion there. And it's not about money, it's about opportunity. The money that we've got should be channelled into recompensing those players that are at the elite level so that they're not out of pocket to play the game. But as much as we possibly can put into a community level. Well, my, well, my argument about that, you know, again, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. You know, I love that scene, absolutely love it. And it's, it's typical of rugby league. We've, you know, again, and we talk about investment. We've invested all this money over the however long Super League's been going. My question has always been, is it a better product? Now, I said about the Australia-New Zealand game, amazing game to watch. But if you ask me for my greatest game of all time, and I'm sorry to the whole FC fans in here, Wigan and Wigan, Hull FC Cup Final of 85. That's my go-to game. That's an, an amazing game of rugby league. There's so many great skills on, on show that day. And we are, what, nearly 40 years down the line. Is the product that we present on a weekly basis in Super League as good as that game? I would say no. From an entertainment value. Now, what did them players get? Some of them had been, you know, Wembley on Saturday, drunk and hungover all day Sunday, going to work Monday morning without any sleep, back to work. Sky was on the bench, so there's one. <laughs> you know, so so that's that's you know that that's saying to me, is money the answer? No, absolutely, it helps. You know, and 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 I'm obviously very very lucky that I played my entire career in in, in the full time era. You know, so I wouldn't want lucky enough that I didn't have to go to work. But money isn't necessarily the better. It gives you obviously more security, but it, for me, it hasn't improved the game as a whole. In fact, I, you know, sometimes I think having that ability that everybody has become the same because we can all go to the gym and we can all do this and we're all so big and we're strong. You know, the number of substitutions that we've had, I think that takes something away from the game, not adds to it. Part of the game. You know, back when when Paul and I played, was you were looking for those tired big men in the middle who, you know, that was our role. You know, the, as you know, when you watch rugby league now, and if you've got any sort of knowledge, you know what's going to happen. 
for me, it's like watching a play or watching a film where you know the ending. It might change every now and then, but the script's going to be the same. And you know, everybody plays the same moves. Everybody does it. You know, and we went through a while of having scrums where we just had our back rowers out and just used it as a tackle. They're the greatest times to attack to do something. But it, but it can change. Hulk KR changed it. Well, we did ago. a little bit as well yeah. last year, didn't he? Kicking so I think again, that's partly down to if you've got a coach who wants to follow a formula because they don't want to get relegated. It'll be five drives and a kick. If you're prepared to have someone who has a philosophy where attack is primary, but your defence has got to be good enough to make up so the mistakes. That you, a great example of that. Then I think even the, pro- the problem of, of what you're talking about, which is correct, and we all have fantastic memories of games where skill overrode physicality, yep. is that once you become full time, physicality is primacy. Yep. But, but also, are, I will say, Phil, as well, I did go to many Whitehaven versus Bromley games, which weren't very good either. So well, there is the other side. In, in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah. But there are um, opportunities for coaches to play a different way, and things do change. They are cyclical. Um, I, I think it might be worth having a debate with people who know far more than we do about the tactics that Sean Wayne employed for England, and to a lesser extent, maybe Craig Richards. Were they too formulaic? Did he pick players who were only going to play a certain way, and, and did was that to their detriment as the tournament went on because they couldn't change anything well, but, but, but we, we had this debate me and Craig before we started today um, how, what, what would you have changed if you were Sean Wayne from game one of the World Cup where they win by 50 points plus to, to the semi-final where they lose against the same opposition surely Sean would go back in his mind and go if we get it right like we did with that day, but why would he change Mickey McLaurin for for um, Salford Hooker, I forget his name. Andy Ackers. Andy Ackers. Uh, which is a, an easy change to make if you want an attacking Andy Ackers Hooker who'd been brilliant all year. But he'd already won by 50 in three, four weeks earlier. So he goes back to type. When you speak about just throwing more money at the game, it'll make it better as a spectacle. And coaches who coach the game, I'd say within the 12 Super League coaches we've got, only Tony Smith is different. Yeah, absolutely. Only Tony Smith is different. Absolutely. So all of a sudden, the coach that allows freedom of expression, um, and well, if you're going to play like that, you make an error, you've got to be able to defend. But that's only 7% of the Super League coaches. Paul, Ra- Paul Rowley. Paul Rowley does a little bit, yeah. But then, but and, to Ra- it, and Rowan, Rowan Smith. Rowan Smith maybe will do it as well. Exactly that. But the, you. Then, then you go to a whole different argument where I, I coached at, at Lee in 2015 where we, we got promoted through OKR being relegated and then we go into the Super League behind the eight ball because you're so late getting in and then there's a middle eights competition the following season and Lee under the normal structures today wouldn't have been relegated because mm. witness finished bottom but they went into a, a whole different league what we tried you know where all of a sudden then the top teams because there's no threat of relegation can cherry pick the players that they want while the teams in the bottom four are worried about their status in Super League so then it becomes about money for the players and that we was then relegated the following season through the middle eights and how can this be right for a player that has signed a three year contract at Lee and then there's two rooms in Lee one where you're told you're getting sacked and two a player welfare from the RFL to try and help you find another club and so all of a sudden, does throwing money at it, or does does a franchise system then allow coaches to coach players to play what they see? No, it allows but them it, to play more it, younger, but it allows them not to be relegated. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, when I was at Lee, all of a sudden 
you try and target the first 11 games to win 7 or 8 so that you're almost in the top 6 before the, 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 the real teams St Helens and Leeds start playing and you, you, you peter out uh, because you're a newly formed team in the Super League with so many new players but would it be better to have the franchise system where you throw the same amount of money and it may allow more Tony Smiths, Rowan Smiths and Paul Rowley But it's bigger than that Paul isn't it? I think it's absolutely fundamentally bigger than that because for me if I'm Joe Bloggs and I coach Hensingham under 11s and I'm a 32 year old 33 year old bloke I'm going to coach like I, what I watch on telly so I'm going to say right you, to, my, to my right back rower you're in that channel and you don't move. To my right centre, you're, you're there. And, you know, we play this and we've got to complete and we've got to complete and we've got to kick well. So I think we're coaching the skill out of our next generation of players. Yeah. It's about, you know, a couple of years ago, I, and, I, and I say this, I can't think when it was. So it is, it's not current as in last, last season. It was three or four years ago. I watched an academy game um, where the actual centre from the left side came over to round to the right hand side and the opposition centre was pointing at the ref and almost saying he can't go <laughs> and he didn't know what to do because it was like he's from over there if he comes over he'll blow yeah he shouldn't be here you know he can't come over to <laughs> my side what, what am I going to do now I've got to choose between which one of these two and, and again that's joking and tongue in cheek obviously but it was that he was like but the story I'll tell about the, you know Brian Noble was the greatest British coach at the time when he played at Bradford and we brought over Andrew Johns to Warrington and he was asked a question Brian Noble about his team and the structure of his team he had Paul and Deakin and they never stopped swapped sides they never went up where the other side of the field well what if you had Andrew Johns well he can do what he wants well why can he do what he wants and we not expect Deakin to be able to yeah. do what he wants or for Robbie Paul to be able to do what he wants. Why is our greatest British coach at the time, Brian Noble was the well, best I, British coach, who said, oh, well, if Andrew Johns comes, he can do it. Well, why I can't we produce an Andrew I, Johns? I was, look, I was lucky enough probably to play the greatest side of, or one of the greatest sides of our era in, in the early 90s at Wigan. And, and I remember what one day we were training and, and Graham West said something to Sean, to Sean Edwards, and Sean said, Westy, you pick the team, I'll decide how we play. <laughs> and Sean's now coach of France and Graham's driving a taxi. You know, and, 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 and for me, that, that, that's it. You know, you pick the team. But Once the, we go the, over that line, I decide what we do. But the other thing about that as well is if you have a system whereby relegation is taken out, not only is it economically more efficient, and there has to be an open door to allow progressive teams still to come, come in, into that top course. flight. And there has to be a, a realisation if you don't live up to whatever the expectation is, you're the out system of it. Of yeah. doesn't it. What you might get, apart from coaches that feel less pressure to coach teams not to lose, is the opportunity to play more talented young players. Because I just think at the moment, we are seeing kids maybe in the academy division, and we don't see them come through quickly mm. enough into first team. But you can throw them in. They can make mistakes. It's not going to cost you. If you get Mikey Lewis playing more games because his defence isn't quite what you need if there's a big prop forward running at him, but in terms of attack, you can't coach him because he's got that natural ability. But to have that fill as well, we need to get the structure of the game right. Now, the biggest crime that we've committed over the last 10 years in rugby league is getting rid of reserve grade rugby league. Because proper reserve grade prop, rugby league. Yeah, because at the moment, it's a complete... No, it's, 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 it's a mix. It's, it's a mix. Yeah. An absolute farce. Whereas we're all about player welfare. You know, player welfare is you know, and it has to be. But then we're saying to a young kid, the first time you ever play against a man is on your Super League debut. The other thing you could do, 
if you want to look at refashioning how the sport looks is not have a reserve grade rugby league but have a proper system of teaming up with other clubs so that you do and again I'm not saying because they do it in Australia it works but actually a more of a twinning arrangement whereby your younger kids do get the opportunity to play in the championship against to do it we have to do it properly Phil you can't send me as the coach for one game when when you do it you're saying to me right you're spending this year at Cornwall and the coaching structures have to align because you don't go and learn how to play the game in one direction at one place and then come back and expect to be able to do it at your homeland but, but if we're serious about whatever we call it, twinning arrangements for example, then there's no reason why that doesn't help the whole rather than the individual and, and then reserve grade isn't quite so important because the kids are getting the experience that they need to play against men, I think there's also a case for then saying once you've established that domestically, you roll it out to saying right well it's your responsibility to look after European nation. Your responsibility to look after an African nation. You can bring a kid from Ghana to play in your academy. But also, structure. as well, if we had four or six games less, Which and you've got that squad, exactly. you've got the ability then yes. to have a proper reserve yes. grade. So now we know Brian Noble's uh, structure is the reason why Robbie Hunter Paul runs around on the pitch pre match because he, he's got that freedom. He <laughs> <laughs> um, was only ever a one side it, 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 it happens all of the time. I, I spent um, part of Peter Sharp was great when he came over to Hull FC and I remember injuring my hamstring before the season started and I missed the first six weeks and my first game back was Hull KR and all these six weeks it strips everything back to just we need to get to the end of sets we need to do it it, it was it was painful to watch when I was injured because I wasn't on the field and I knew I was coming back for the derby game and I went into him and I said um, he said oh you'll start I said please tell me we're not playing that crap level of rugby that you've been trying to get these players to play he said you've got to do what you want and that was for me music to ears but there's not many like that how do we get so that the players are developed in that way to be able to play eyes up rugby which is pure like you said earlier everything's the same you know, why have you cancelled your Sky subscription because everything's the same but if we've not got the relegation it might allow a coach Absolutely. to coach a player to be able to play the most pure f- form of football. Why, why, is it? Cup final. why is it that the most, and it might just be my <laughs> take of it, most coaches are front row forward. Well, how was that? Telly as well. How, how, does, how does that work? Front row what's going on? But I, I, and again, we shouldn't compare everything to the way they do it in Australia, but they are the market leaders. So normally in any form of business, you at least look at what the market leaders are doing to, to try and understand how they've got to that position. They've never had relegation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there, there is a, the possibility that the Australian team that we saw that came over, there are, there are people in that team who were given a chance when they were very young and adapted to it, and the pressure of, wasn't on them not to play, it was to show what they could do, because no. if they made a mistake, the worst thing that could happen is they'd lose two points. Yeah, and unfortunately, when I was at Lee, if you made a mistake, the worst thing that could happen was you was in one room to be sat in contract on, and, and, and the next room and to be looked after massive. as player well. That in terms of player development. Completely. And it, and it affects you as a coach, because ultimately, 
not every player can play like that, mate. Not every player can play in the most purest form. And Mikey Lewis, well, open attack. Well, but Latrell Mitchell was sensational. He, d- he didn't get all the plaudits because of what Josh Adokar was doing outside yeah. of him. But a lot of what Adokar did was having yeah. Mitchell into. But Mitchell, as a young kid, was was playing as a teenager at first grade level. Stephen Crichton, who was arguably one of the players of the tournament for Samoa. Yeah. You know, he, I, I remember him coming over here as an Australian schoolboy, probably, what, four or five years ago we saw him in a game, and we thought, oh, that kid's got time. He was in the Penrith first team virtually the year after. Mm-hmm. How many kids have we got playing in our Super League first teams who are teenagers who are going to be there for the long haul and playing for it, building the next England team around? Well, the majority of them are arguably from one club, and we spoke about this earlier, about you play a roster management when... You know, the, arguably last year's St Helens team was the greatest win in the four grand finals they've had for me because they plan mm-hmm. and they send their young team over to Australia it wasn't long ago that Nathan Cleary was over here with Crichton and, and his mm-hmm. Penrith young kids yep. playing against St Helens <laughs> and all of a sudden now that you know the St Helens players get the experiences of that Lachlan Cook leaving, Theo Fags leaving all of a sudden you've got Wells Brew comes in and a Dodd and it, it's not an accident but them young players like Wellesby and Dodd have obviously been over to Australia as well to sample what it is like out there when they did go over and play a game. Um, and arguably our the benchmark for our team should be that because they develop players. And Wellesby is a rugby player. He's not a centre or a winger or a fullback. He's a rugby player. And he plays rugby in almost its purest form. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, but, but they get it so right, St. Helens, with the development of juniors. And then uh, Lachlan Coote leaves the club, arguably the best fullback the season before. And it's seamless, and they still win a grand final because they've developed from, yeah. not just from the, within there, they've developed and taken them over from different experiences in Australia, or they've played against Nathan Cleary, St. Helens, uh, Penrith team. Back in back in the past, I think there's two things on that. I think you know you talk about the, the Australia. We've got to have a salary cap that's a fair salary cap. Now, we can all agree that it's not enough. But also as well, if there's only half the teams can spend it, what's yeah. the point of it anyway? So if you if you're not going to get a level playing field, there's no point having it in the first place. You're not just let people spend what they want. From, from my eyes, and then the second it when you've got relegation, your budget that you get allocated is always going to be for today. There's no investment in tomorrow. Now, my argument is that, and it always has been, we look at our coaching and we look at our structures, and I'm not looking at any club in particular, but in my eyes, there's no there's no confirmation that my junior coaches, who should be the best coach in your club, by the way, because he's bringing your next generation of players through, is any better than the coaches at, at any amateur club in, in the country. Now, for me... There's too many coaches at these clubs who get this job because they get a tracksuit and say, I'm a coach at Castleford Tigers, I'm a coach at Wakefield, I'm a coach at whoever, rather than them being the best person for that role. Now, until we get the best people in our junior development, we are never going to develop the game for our next generation of coming through. But like you said, while we're always worried about where we're going to be next season, every penny that we add is going to be into the top team to make sure that we're going to get that money again the year after. Unwillingly, you've led me where I was going to go anyway. Because <laughs> I'm going to talk about the goldfish. I'm really good at that. Moment, I'm right? really this good at that. It's, it's, it's almost like we used to work together, isn't it? Uh, in, in the good old days. Uh, good old Ken Bates. Thank, thank God the sea exists. Because um, I know we're running out of time. And we've got to talk about the two whole clubs. But, 
because you mentioned tracksuits, you must have been gutted that in your time of leading get to wear one with a, a leopard's backside on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I almost, I think the, the, the famous picture of Derek is that, and we're trying to pinch that hoodie he's got, <laughs> just so I can get it on, get, get something on that resembles it. Um, it's really interesting when you said about coaches and development of coaches. I went for a job at OKR to coach the young kids. This is an amazing story. This is an unbelievable story. story. I'm interviewed by a panel of three people at OKR and I wanted to do it because my my nephew's now in the first team at OKR. He played his first couple of games last year and I wanted to, to try and get to be able to develop the next generation and he was a big part of me wanting to go for this job. So I interviewed for this job and he rings me up and he says, we're not going to give you it because you're overqualified. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and it's and it's um, it's a ment- and, and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing and I'm saying so I'm offering you my services and I'm overqualified at doing it at a level of finance which suits you and you're telling me you don't want me so how do we then develop the next generation of players and I'm not saying the guy who got the job was a bad coach or anything like that but to ring me up and say I'm overqualified almost tells me how mental our game is because if we feel like the best man for the job is overqualified, how the hell are we getting this if guy I, on the finances we've got him on? And then you don't take him. Mm. And I'm going, okay, fair enough. And I've never been back for a coaching job after it. I just thought, what's the point? You know, what's I, the point? I work in the real world now. You know, I had obviously 10 really good years in a pretend world of professional sport. And, you know, since <laughs> then, I've worked 20 years in the NHS, which is. I suppose not really the real world because that's another bonkers place to work as well but if you put that scenario into me I'm a senior manager now and if one of my teams come and said look we've had this guy he's absolutely amazing but he's overqualified I'd shoot that person and throw them out (laughs) and get him in to do that job because that is just absolutely ludicrous that somebody of Paul's stature and you know just imagine those young kids like that in awe of what he could teach but also the way way he would have taught the game to be played it's just and you mentioned it the, the the best coaches in your, your, your coaching team should be a youth coaches because they are developing the next generation of players for the first team to be able to use and, and they are so but important but if they're being told to develop them in a style that the first team wants yeah. to play yeah. then you're knocking the edge off them before they even get to of the course, first team of course you are but I think unless you're a coach like Tony Smith or Rowan Smith yeah. because for me that's the right way <laughs> I think you've got to throw Matty Pete into that a bit. Yeah, it's still a little bit structured, but yeah. you know, you look at the Wigan team of or last maybe year. It was Lee Brees. Or maybe it was Lee Brees. See how they coached this year without him. Yeah. You know, so you know, absolutely. But yeah, we're some co- some coaches are prepared to to take risks. So even in difficult situations, just thinking of Willie Poaching last season when we were talking about you have to be prepared to let kids make mistakes, and most coaches in that situation don't because there's, there's too much jeopardy but they were near the bottom of the table I remember Lewis Murphy who came Kim emerged Hill. as a yeah. real talent the winger out, out Wakefield I think it was his debut against Leeds at Leeds dropped the ball yeah, yeah. bomb drops it Leeds yeah. score they, they were 30-0 up at half time but Willie picked him it might not have been the next week but Willie put him back in and said to him well don't worry about it you know it's your debut but would Willie I like you I've been impressed by what you've done have you a chance if Tom Johnson hadn't been injured 
Well, he was pretty known he was going to get the sack anyway. But he gave a kid a chance. Yeah. He was prepared to give him another but chance. Sometimes it's, it's injuries that, um, mm. that mean you give kids a chance. And I'd but, like to see kids given a but chance. But regardless that's whether there's promotion the case, or relegation, though, that, that, that's irrelevant. You're always going to be, as a coach, whether there's promotion mm. or relegation, you're going to pick your best team. Oh, because if you're involved in any kind of sport, and if you're like me, you're involved in sports since I was a three year old kid. If we say we're having a game of tiddlywinks now, I wouldn't win. If we're all playing, I want to win. And if I don't, I'm going to go away disappointed. Because that's, if you're in sport, you're built into that. Now, when you played at Hull and OK the era that I did, you get used to losing. <laughs> it becomes second nature. But you still want to, you know what I mean? It's that competitive nature. So you also know as a junior that you've got to go in and you've got to give it your best shot. And you know that however well you play, you could be man of the match and score six tries. And, you know, I, I lived this for five years. I knew however well I played, if Sean was fit the next week, I was out. But you also understand that it can be so frustrating and it, it made me come to Hull, the worst thing I ever did. I think everybody knows that as a professional um, decision. But, but I knew that it doesn't matter how well I play, as long as I, what I needed to get into my head or what you need to get in as a junior is that you do enough that when next time he's injured, you're straight back in. They're not looking and saying, well, actually, we've given him an opportunity we give him another opportunity and both times he's failed. Maybe he isn't up to this. You've got to go and get that mindset. I know when Tom Johnson's fit, I ain't going to play. But when he's not fit, I'm straight into the team. And that's what you've got to do. And then you become more more appealing, not only to the club that you're at, but to other players who, who can then come in and say, well, actually, this kid can play. You know, he can't play here and we'll take him there and he'll become a better player because he's in that environment. You're trying to get Lewis Murphy sold. Tom Johnson's gone now, hasn't he? <laughs> Lewis is back in. Making it sad. So, uh, uh, you always told me, me goldfish bowl. Hull is a goldfish bowl. And we've got a goldfish bowl with two new goldfish in as the coaches. I don't know where this now is going. <laughs> the most important thing, it seems from the outside sometimes, is who finishes above each other. But surely, surely it's now. Hull Cup, isn't it? Yeah. But, when are we going to see your whole club at top four back in the grand final? I agree because completely. it's been a long time. We are tarnished in this city with rose-tinted glasses, black and white or red and white, and, and, and it's the only thing that matters at times to the supporters of the clubs. I've got friends in both red and white and black and white, and you know, the end last game of the season, the Rovers win and they go above and by one place, and they're hammering the black and whites. I'd be more worried that I'm not in the top six. Uh, as a supporter of a club, stop telling me how good you are by finishing one place above us in the table off one game at the end of the season and start worrying about developing enough at your club to be able to be in the top six and to make a grand final again. Uh, and it's such a, a, a surreal city to, to be a part of and live in. But if that's an easy thing to say, Paul, as a player, because we played the game for those, for monetary value, we played because we were good at it and we had a bit of skill and we wanted to win. Now, when you go to a working environment and you're sat next to a Rovers fan all day, it's, you know, it's a unique environment, isn't yeah. it? Where, there's, where the only true city where there's both teams. If you're a fan, you're fanatical. That's what it is, isn't it? You guys, you know, you're here. Shows how bummy you all are anyway on Saturday afternoon, sat here. But... You know, when you, you're a fan, certainly in this city, fanatical of their club. 
Now, well, you haven't got those grand finals and things to pin on. The next best thing is, as long as we beat them, I don't really care, because then I can go to work and say, ah, we beat you, we're above you, la, 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 happy days. So I get it. Now, it's the big... What I don't think that's the fans' issue. Absolutely, it's... We've not. I think some of the times is we're not doing great, but we're doing better than them, so at least we're not some. them. Yeah, it's better than them. What we've got to do is the club's problem to improve that. You know, the great sets of fans, both, you know, you and I play yeah. with both great fans and, you know, support, you know, the, the away following from both teams says it all, doesn't it? The number of whole KR and OFC fans at away games is fantastic, but they pin their ups on that because they're not getting to the finals. It's the club's job to get those teams to the final because they are big clubs. You know, certainly, you know, Hull FC have had the better of it over lately, but, you know, Rovers are historically a great side and they need to be back up at the pinnacle and being involved in winning finals as well. But it's the club's mentality, I mm. think. The fans will get behind it and if they do it, then they're even going to be even more so, aren't they, of, of singing and dancing. But I get it. I get it's, it. it's interesting now because they're very different models. Um, you know, Hulk are on their own ground. Uh, they've got new investment coming in. They've got development potential. They've got a very strong foundation. They probably um, are still maybe signing some players who fill a void rather than perhaps are developing enough of them to have a full team of local players. Hull FC is more, we don't on the ground. We, we probably have a bigger support base, but there is more pressure on us to win games and finish higher up the league. It'd be very interesting to see which model comes out on top particularly now with Tony Smith moving from yeah. one to the other well particularly now with that because the, the rugby league model has been built at OKR for three years yeah. by Tony yeah. and it's going to be tweaked by Willie, uh, Willie Peters but the, the model for Hull FC one of the things I've said about Hull FC this year is it's the most me and Mark Wilson sit down every year and he says I think they'll be great this year and I say I'm telling you now Mark they're flatter to deceive he knows they're flatter to deceive they, they've got this, in, you know, squad player to spend a full salary cap, but there's just something at that club, a mentality of something where they can't get out of, uh, into a top six or or try and make a grand final or a Challenge Cup again. And the two models rugby league wise, because Tony's left his footprint at Hull KR and going to LFC. But this year, I've, I'm op- optimistic about LFC as, as opposed to being pessimistic. Um, as I have been over the last four years, I think he'll build and, and I've been proved right. Yes, in my eyes, in my eyes, yes. He has to be let do what he wants to do. Yeah, and this is and this is with Tony because I because I speak with Tony regular or I speak with him and we meet for dinner and stuff. He's such a complex and fascinating man, and ultimately, wherever he's been, he's left that place in a better spot than he found it. So the same at Oakley, he did, did the same at Warrington, and he did the same at Leeds. Uh, even though he went and into a great and team and at, and at Huddersfield so all of a sudden now I'm thinking I'm optimistic because his track record tells me that but he builds a team and he, in, rather in, than a group of rather individuals, than a group of individuals. And, a new, and new straight away Richard, I, did, I did the radio show on, on Monday in Hull and I was booked on there anyway and it was when Brett Hodgson was announced he was being sacked and I texted Johnny and said if the rumours are true congratulations I've never spoke to them and I thought well that's a lie but the club <laughs> if, it, if it is true that the club haven't spoken to you the club deserve over the, get them over the hot calls the, the owner and the CEO James Clark that, that to me would be a travesty but the first thing I knew he'd do is punt Jake Connor mm-hmm. and I'm not saying Jake hasn't left of his own accord but he's not a Jake Connor mm-hmm. fan or type of player in his team so he's 
made a really good decision where the season before they, they announced it on Sky Sports News that he's signing a new contract and it's an uproar in the city we've still got the best number one all of a sudden you're going to see a completely different mm. LFC this year because they're not going to be reliant on Jake and they've got two young halfbacks that are under 30 years of age this year they've brought in Brad Dwyer at night and all of a sudden you think where's this team going to go and that's the most fascinating element for me which makes me optimistic this year I might have a conversation with Mark Larry he says that they'll be rubbish this year and I'll say they'll be good and hopefully I'll be proved right again but yeah I'll just enjoy watching it from the outside it's a bit like Lee Jones I was just thinking about I don't think you can mention them here when you're talking about away fans and Leeds United fans bang on or we'd have taken more and that's what Hull Cow and Hull FC are and, and Leeds are only bothered about beating Man United really and not getting relegated because as long as they beat Man United mm-hmm. yeah, we, can, we can brag about that for a while it's a view of the club though isn't it and like Craig said earlier when I said you know, we, we have these tinted spectacles black and white, red and white in Hull and it's for the clubs to get them up to, to that level where they are competing again in, in, in major finals and, and, I, and I do think that's where the IMG um, influence will help both of those yeah. clubs because they're going to be given a blueprint and it'll be down to you mm. and, and I think Hull Car have already acknowledged that and Hull FC have got some limitations with not only their own ground mm. which Wigan will have um, you know, any club that doesn't have their Huddersfield access to their own facility are going to find it it's harder and harder because mm. the rugby league will need to be the priority for that club and not well you can play on a Thursday because we've got a game on the following Saturday and mm. even though we're in the fifth division of football we yes. take precedence over you it's going to be really an interesting dynamic but again it comes down to this is the legacy of the World Cup can we actually make it count can I ask you guys and, and flip this over a little bit as a so called expert on what we're talking about to flip it over to a field where you guys are the expert on there's been a lot of over the last couple of years um, new badges and stuff that are media friendly and digitally friendly and what's your thoughts on that you know because I know certainly when Wiggins was changed there was uproar and you know Hockey R have certainly changed theirs as well haven't they is that the way sport as a whole is moving forward to that well, digital platform I think if you change it and it, it's good then it's all right if you change it and you're late. So what are you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> that was coming. Okay, <laughs> I came out with this, uh, and we can do the same thing with. Uh, here's why we've changed the badge and this, this, and this. Is that if you explain it and the explanation makes sense, if you don't like the badge, you don't like the badge, do you? It's like when a new kit comes out. Some people like Hull's third fair shirt or something. Think it's a load of nonsense, but it's there to sell some shirts, isn't it? All, all I would say is that the classic example is the Rhino, which has no connection whatsoever with Leeds. But because they worked hard to make that brand unique, yeah, the rhinos can't, can't be anything else. Well, if you search rhinos on Twitter, yeah. the first thing that comes up is so you do it right. Yeah. Take people with you, but work really hard at the beginning. Um, you know, there was a couple of really clever things that they would like. They got Ronnie the Rhino to stand for Parliament. Right. Well, now he probably would. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't do any worse. <laughs> I mean, he, wasn't, he, wasn't he didn't popular. lose his deposit. He wasn't popular at no. the start, though. There was a there was a vote. It was in in our paper, and I think Loiners was one of the choices, and Rhino, Loiners won Easy. by a mile. Yeah, but the club said, "Well, no." But thanks for your information. But thanks <laughs> thanks for your input. But we're not going to second any notice. And people didn't like Rhino, but it but it's how you it works. But they've stuck with it. We're going it. back full yeah. circle to the origin debate of yeah. us giving it up on the week one. They've stuck mm. with it, and now they're the Rhinos, aren't they? Wildcats didn't really. Because this, that was when got, I was there. If they got with Wakefield Wildcats without the Trinity bit, it might have worked. But because mm. they stuck to the past and the future and made this complete mess, which no one knew what the name was, 
as long as I say horse yards. That was a great thought. That would have worked. Oh, but you left by that. <coughs> we're going to have that really bad Warriors show. Yeah, I played in that game, yeah. yeah. That was... Because uh, <laughs> that, that was... That was the infamous 97 season, yeah. which was the um, the fated World Club Challenge, where greatest holiday of my life, a month in Australia, <laughs> never played a game. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're like the modern day... You're like the previous Ash Dolby, though, when he went... Uh, not, Ash Handy, sorry, when he went to um, on the Great Britain tour and never played. Yeah. So yeah, in New Guinea, flew him out. Yeah. Um, they flew him out as a replacement on the way to Papua New Guinea. Took him out with Leeds' pre-season training and um, yeah. didn't play. Well, that, one of the that was a great story from that. Rich is um, we were we were based in the Gold Coast. <laughs> you know, bonkers. A rugby team away from home in Australia, based on the Gold Coast for 21 days. Uh, I think I did 17 days on the beer you know, in the Gold Coast and never no played a game. Gary Conley played all three and did 18. <laughs> <laughs> he's not, I've, just, I've just been on a golf and all those guys. And he's still not changed one bit, has he? He, he was last out, first out, last in every day, every yeah. single day. No, it was a great holiday, absolutely great holiday. Yeah. Yeah, we were sat in the hotel, it's probably not politically correct now, but we were sat in the hotel just in the lobby because we were just bored out of our heads in the daytime and the lifts yeah. opened and Rolf Harris came out of the, out of the lift that, you, you yeah. could have said something worse so, uh, yeah. that's, that's fine that's that fine bizarre. it could have been far worse mental, um, mental. we're running out of time we're going to get kids out of the car well I'm not going to get kids out of the car I've already got a parking ticket oh, so right. mine ran out at half three because you guys were late well, anyway. <laughs> well we've done it for 20 minutes that's why I got a parking ticket uh, any, any questions as long as they're quick well, quick answers no. <laughs> Thank you for coming. This is the end of our tour, um, which means we get paid. Which has it been cultural? Has it been cultural? Oh, only you can answer that. <laughs> there's some books. There's books. We've we've, been, we've got people into libraries, haven't we? Apart from Newcastle, where no one turned up. And you fell off the stage. And I fell off the stage, which I think is probably a highlight of the World Cup for me. Apart from Brazil, Canada, obviously. And, uh, no, um, you have all these ideas and you're really good and everything. So you're going to be speaking to the people who are coming in to chat. We've sent them some stuff, but whether they want to take it on board, and there, there are some really clever people now involved in IMG, far cleverer than, than certainly I am. There's a, a gentleman who's coming on the board called Peter Hutton, um, who known for a very long time, who is uh, currently at Meta. He, he knows everything there is to know about sports rights negotiations, what makes a sport exciting. Having somebody like him now involved in the sport fills me with confidence. They did. Ask, they did ask. They asked. They sent sort of a questionnaire around to everybody involved in the media and people and said, "If you've got any ideas, please tell us." So that's. I, I thought that was encouraging. Absolutely encouraging. Yeah. Look, you said earlier, if you do what you've always done, you get what you always get, and it's not been obviously not been done at that level before. No. With you guys speaking about, it. I'm really optimistic about the, the IMG involvement. Um, but and, I think- and, not, and not only the IMG involvement, the. the Ralph leaving and, and the change of guard at, at, at level of, of, of governance level of the sport, um, you know, and where we go with that, with lots of other different debates. And I think match that, review that coming on and, the yeah. back of the, the World Cup, which yeah. is where we sort of started this debate, the World Cup has given us the platform for IMG to take a product, yeah. some of which is new, and say, we're not doing it right, yeah. let's change, let's change it. it. And if, yeah. if that's the legacy of this World Cup, That'll do for me. And just, I don't want to finish on a negative, but we've, st- we've, we've got to remember that we can have the best company in the world that are running it. If we don't get the product right on the pitch, it's absolutely irrelevant. Yeah. 
What was Maurice Linton like? Maurice was actually Maurice wasn't there when I was there. He'd, oh. he'd left at the time. Of time. But I have spent many a day with Maurice. You know, and again, a more passionate rugby league fan you could not meet. You know, and again, a lot of people knock Mor- knock Maurice, but the game is where it is today, good or bad, because of Maurice Windsor. He was a benevolent dictator. Ken Bates was at Radio Yorkshire. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Uh, especially because he paid for that recorder I nicked. Um, Peter, <laughs> thank you very much. Everyone read the Yorkshire Evening Post. Craig, do you want to promote anything? Do you... No. 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 no I'm fine. Thank you. Enjoy your rugby league. Yeah, we do. Oh, <laughs> New 40 20 out next week. There yeah. you go. Thank you very much for coming. Thank Thanks you for watching. It's not even live, but thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, the World Cup's finished, and, and this is it now. And, and I'm now I'm sad. So that is the negative note. We'll end the podcast off. Yeah.